All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we again thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for an opportunity to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ for, for a time of worship. God, as we open your word, we pray that you would open your word to us, that as we read, as we study together, as we consider these things, God, that you would challenge us by your word, um, that you would convict us by your word, God, that we would be encouraged and emboldened in the mission that um, we have been given. Um, God, and that you would um, use your word um, to help us see you more clearly and and to understand, uh, God, the, the beauty of the gospel uh, and how it relates to everything in our lives. God, we thank you for that gospel. We thank you that that gospel um, is preached this Sunday, uh, this Lord's Day in our community. God, as we do each week, we pray for um, our uh, sister churches in Blunt County who are who are preaching the gospel, who are um, presenting Christ to their churches and to their communities. Um, Father, we pray um, specifically for for churches that um, are close to our heart because we are um, connected to them um, through people we have sent out from our own church. Um, Father, we pray for Broadway um, Baptist. We pray for First Baptist Alcoa. We pray for Mount Olive Baptist Church. God, we we ask that you would um, work and minister um, in each of these places. God, we pray for Beach Grove Baptist Church. We pray for First Baptist Maribel. Um, God, all of these churches represent a gospel witness in our larger community and the specific congregations that they represent, those families, those, those networks of friends. God, we ask that your word would go forth mightily into our community, that we would see a spirit of, of conviction, a spirit of revival, a spirit of, of people turning from their sin and to the Lord um, as we share the gospel with our neighbors, as we serve and minister to our neighbors. Um, God, as we teach and preach your word in our churches. God, we, we desire to see a great movement of your spirit in our community, but not just our community, in our, in our state, in our country, um, in our world. God, we, we know of so many stories where you are moving mightily all around the world. Um, we ask that you would do the same here, uh, in our community. But God, let it start first in our own hearts. Let it spread to our families. Let it spread to our church and let it spread on from there. We thank you, God, for your Many blessings. We thank you for your word. We ask that you open it as we read together now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, we are on our very last sermon in the Gospel of Luke, Sermon 116, if you wanted to count. Um, we started the Gospel of Luke in December of 2019, pre-COVID. Okay, and we are finally finishing tonight. And I noticed something funny, and it and 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 it, it, it tells you why you might look in your Bibles right now and say, uh, forty-four through forty-nine is not the last passage in the Gospel of Luke. What did you do, Ash? Well, you'll remember two weeks ago we talked about the ascension. Um we sort of jumped ahead and then went backwards. Now you should know that that took everything in me to do. And the reason is is because this is Ascension Sunday. 
Okay, so so ascension, the actual ascension day in which the church has historically celebrated the ascension of Christ was on Friday, but then the, the closest Sunday is when you celebrate it in terms of church. And my liturgical church calendar lovingness, like was going, this is so perfect. We did we did the resurrection story on Easter, and now ascension is happening on Ascension Sunday. Man, we've got to do that, okay? But I decided not to. I decided to switch them. And the reason is, is because as we close the Gospel of Luke, these verses 44 through 49, I feel like are just a great summary. They are, they are a great summary of the entire message of the Gospel of Luke, the emphases of the Gospel of Luke, um, but also they're a commission for us as we finish the Gospel of Luke. They are pointing towards that, that idea in, in a, that larger way. Okay. And so, um, let me read, um, or, or start there just, re- Rehashing verses 44 and 45 is we begin to look at, at what we see, um, this idea of the summary of the gospel of Luke and the commission that we see in the gospel of Luke. And it begins with the idea of the fact that the scriptures have been fulfilled. The scriptures have been fulfilled. Verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them. All right. So one of the big themes that we have talked about over the course of the gospel of Luke is, is Luke's regular reference to the Old Testament. His sometimes specific word for word references, sometimes allusions and, and, you know, imagery from the Old Testament, but Luke frequently is looking backwards to the Old Testament. We've seen that throughout the entire book. You probably remember as we zoomed in on the passion narrative over, over the spring, the end of the winter and the spring, as we talked about that last week of Jesus' earthly life, the many, many passages that were referencing back to the Old Testament that we saw, particularly in chapters like 21, 22, 23, and, and 24. Notice that reference that he makes there. We often hear the Bible talking about the law and the prophets as sort of a summary statement of the Old Testament. But notice Luke, Jesus in this passage, and Luke quotes it, Jesus says the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, okay? And I think there's probably a particular reason for that is if you remember, if you've been with us over the course of the winter and, and the early spring, you remember how often we came across a passage, something happening in the life of Jesus, a prophecy that was being fulfilled in his in his passion, in his torture, in his death, and then resurrection. How often those prophecies went directly back to a psalm, right? Where you could almost go back to a certain psalm and read the psalm, and it would be like you were seeing the scene painted that Luke was talking about in that passage. I think that's why he references that. And so you have the law and the prophets, but you also have the Psalms. This passage is very similar to that story that we read about on the road to Emmaus, right? And as the the men realize it's Jesus, um, or before they realize it's Jesus, Jesus opens up the entire Old Testament showing how things had to happen the way they happened, that the Old Testament prophecies were pointing to the fact that this Messiah would come, that he would be rejected, that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would be raised on the third day. That was all a part of God's plan. And so Luke is showing us that that's exactly what happened. He is pointing to the Old Testament over and over again and showing how Jesus has fulfilled it. 
In fact, when we look at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, when he's sort of writing his introductory address, he says this in chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty according to the things that you have been taught. Right? We could say that's the, in one way, that's the reason why the Gospel of Luke was written. It was written so that we, Theophilus, but also everyone who would read it in the church after him, would have certainty and confidence of the things that we had heard and been taught. And one of the main ways that, again, Luke does that is he shows us the connection between the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment of those things in Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, these things are veiled, right? We, we don't know exactly what's going on. We're told that these things are coming in the future, and yet in the New Testament, they are made manifest. We see them clearly. We see how they relate. And so we have this summary of what has happened, but we have, it, it, it points to the idea that we have an assurance, okay? God is giving us a, an assurance of the truth of these things, the validity of these things. Scriptures, scriptures foretold them, and now Jesus has fulfilled them. Do you realize how big an apologetic tool that is? Certainly in our own hearts, okay? If you will study the scriptures, if you will read the Old Testament, and read the New Testament, if you will watch the interplay between the two, if you will watch the connections, if you will see these, these prophecies made hundreds, and in some cases thousands of years ahead of time, and how they are specifically fulfilled in the New Testament, it is one of the most confirming and emboldening things for our hearts, for us to trust on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We don't see like these Nostradamus vagaries, Okay, that's not how the Bible works. We don't see these vague prophecies like some kind of fortune teller or something that basically any sort of scenario we could make it fit in the end. No, we see deep, multifaceted, obvious correspondence between the things foretold in the Old Testament and those things coming to pass in the New Testament. And Luke is telling us, I want you to have certainty concerning these things. I want you to know that Jesus is who he said he is, and he has come to do what he, he said he would do. And part of the way we do that is by seeing the continuity between the Old Testament prophecies and the New Testament scriptures. That's part of the big theme of, of the Gospel of Luke, or one of the things that, that Luke plays heavily into. All right? But here's the thing. The Bible's a big book, right? It's a big book. The Old Testament in particular is a big book. There's a lot of stuff in it. Um, you may have never thought about this, but Luke is actually the largest New Testament contributor. In terms of volume, in terms of like number of words written, Luke has written more in the New Testament than any other writer, including Paul. And so what we would maybe ask ourselves is, okay, so we have this big, we have this scripture that has been fulfilled, but what is the center of it? What's the main point? What's the interpretive key so that we can understand the scriptures rightly? And the answer to that question is, and the message of Luke's gospel is, Jesus. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the interpretive key. Zoomed in, 
Jesus' death and resurrection is the thing that explains everything and fulfills everything. Maybe zoomed out, it is the larger message of the gospel in general, the message of God's salvation accomplished by Christ for sinners. And so we see that verse 45. As he opens the word, as he tells them about the way that the scriptures had been fulfilled, was it saying verse 45? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Okay, so so he points to the fact, what is the key event that was foretold in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament? It is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' cross and Jesus' empty tomb. That is the interpretive key. That is the center of all of it. And once again, Luke is summarizing for us, but he's also commissioning us to something. He's saying the the scriptures are all about Jesus, but he's also saying our mission as the church is all about Jesus. Jesus is the center of it. All other goals, okay, whether those goals are moral or social or societal or political, those are all secondary to Jesus. Or maybe a better way to say it is all of those goals are swallowed up in Jesus, in his death, in his, in his resurrection. Maybe many of you have heard a sermon, sort of a famous sermon. You, it goes around online sometimes. It's called, Do You Know It? Sermon is called, Do You Know Him? It's by a pastor named S.M. Lockridge. He was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego. And so I don't, I get a few nods, like people are like, yeah, it seems like some people know it, some people don't. It's called, Do You Know Him? And, and, and I think sometimes people call the sermon, That's My King. And so I, I'd encourage you to go look, listen to it. Look up Lockridge, um, Lockridge. Do you know him when you get home, maybe? And I'll tell you what, um, in typical African-American Baptist kind of preaching, man, I'll tell you what, it'll warm your heart. Um, it'll stir you up like it stirs even like an old the reform dude up, right? Like you will get, you'll get a little, you'll get a little hype by listening to it. But here's a part of it. He just goes through a certain section. He says this, he's talking about Jesus and he says, Jesus is, he's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son. He is a sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in solitude of himself. He is awesome. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem of higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of every good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. All right? Jesus is the center of all of it. And so when we think to ourselves about the mission of the church, when we think about what we are supposed to be doing, what is the interpretive key? What brings it all together? What is it all about? Jesus is the answer. That's Luke's message to us. All right. Jesus is the answer. But then he moves on from that. He continues on as sort of this commissioning and summary. Who is that message to? Who is the message that Jesus is everything to? Well, the answer is Jesus is everything to everybody. 
Verse 47, and that, so we have this message that Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead, and, verse 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So for one, Luke is is writing, interestingly, to a Greco-Roman audience, we think, all right? Which is sort of interesting, given the fact that he's making so many references to the Old Testament scriptures. But that's part of the proof that he's talking about. He's saying, man, if, if these Old Testament scriptures predicted the coming of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection hundreds and thousands of years... Roman people, Greco-Roman people, you should have, you should listen to this, right? You should you should take heed of it. Matthew's gospel is focused to the Jews, and so you expect it to focus on the Old Testament. But but Luke is speaking to the Gentiles in particular, and that's important because it's pointing to this idea of the fact that this gospel, this message that Christ is all, is for everyone. And so while John's gospel talks about the idea that salvation is from the Jews, it's not only for the Jews. It is for the goyim, the Gentiles, the nations. That's who this message is for. It's for all people in all places at all times. And so as we've seen over and over in Luke, we know it's not just a national or an ethnic everyone. That, that Luke is talking to. But he's talking to an everyone. Everyone. Luke's gospel over and over again. And we've talked about this, man, again, if you've been with us for three or four years, you know, over and over again, Mark's gospel focuses on the outsiders and the marginalized, the oppressed, and really the oppressors in, in some ways. The pimps and the prostitutes, the lepers and the legionnaires. The dropouts, the losers, the sinners, the failures, the fools. That's who Jesus, I mean, that's who Luke focuses on in his gospel. He's always showing how Jesus is reaching out to the people that no one else wants to have anything to do with. And so it points to this idea that what is Luke saying? That the message that Jesus is the center is for everybody. And man, here's the deal. We can mess that up. Okay, Um, we can say, man, what a delightful idea that is. Jesus is for everyone. A Jesus who will fit into my already established ideas. A Jesus who will fit into the institutions that already exist around me. If Jesus is for everyone, I guess that means we can have a white Jesus and a black Jesus and a rich Jesus and a poor Jesus and a Republican Jesus and a Democrat Jesus, and a gay Jesus, and a trans Jesus. We can have Jesus just, he's for everyone. He'll come in and fit all of these categories. Is that what that means? No. Jesus being for everyone doesn't mean inclusion. Jesus being for everyone means radical assimilation. Right? It does not mean inclusion. It means radical assimilation. What do I mean by that? Watch this. In this passage, something weird happens. I don't know if you noticed it. It's 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 one of those passages that we zoom in on sometimes where what is not said seems more striking than what is said. Okay? Watch this again. He says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins 
should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. All right? Jesus is the center. His death and resurrection were foretold. That's the key event. And now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, what do we need to do? We need to preach that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is why I think that's weird. As we progress through the New Testament, we see something all the time. We see a combination of words. We see very often the Bible talks about the idea of faith alone, that we need to believe That's the key thing. We need to preach faith in Christ. Other times, and frequently, we see faith and repentance paired. So you have to believe and repent. And we see that throughout the scriptures. But here's something interesting. Very seldomly is repentance singled out in the absence of faith. Does that make sense? So if I were to tell you and say, what is your mission as the, as the church? What are we supposed to be doing? What are we, how do we evangelize, right? You would say, well, I'm supposed to tell people that they need to trust in Jesus Christ alone as, as their savior, right? You would, I hope also include repentance, but you probably wouldn't just say repentance, right? You wouldn't just say, well, I think we need to tell people to repent of their sins and then leave it at that. And yet that's what this passage kind of does. Now, again, we're reading what's not there, and there's, there can be a danger with that. We can be making assumptions about something that is not intended. But here's something I think is interesting. Jesus points to this idea that the gospel is for all nations. But then he also says right after that, repentance or forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. I think repentance is highlighted to point to the fact that we're not talking about inclusion. We're talking about assimilation. Jesus is saying the point of this whole thing, yes, the gospel is for everyone, but that means not that Christ will be conformed to fit humanity, but that all humanity will be conformed to fit Christ. That we will all come to Christ by repenting of our sins, by recognizing that we have been wrong and God has been right. We don't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to come down here and like be my cheerleader and affirm the lifestyle that I have chosen. No, we go to Christ and surrender everything. We repent everything. We basically say to God, I was wrong about all of it, God. About every decision. You remember that episode of Seinfeld? Maybe you don't. Where George basically says, every single decision I've made in my entire life was wrong. And then his friends are like, well, then you should start doing the opposite. If you just did the opposite of every inclination you had, maybe your life would work out better. And he does, and it does. I mean, there's like a gospel allegory there, okay, out of Seinfeld. Um, every single decision you have ever made as a lost person has been wrong. And you know what you need to do? You need to not say, oh, I need Jesus to come in to sanctify and and sort of, you know, make all right all of my mess. No, the answer is, is you need to turn to Jesus and say, I've been wrong on all of it, and I need to conform my entire existence to who you are. That's what I need to do. doesn't matter what I want. doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what I believed in the past. If Jesus says something, I need to repent and agree with him, not figure out a way that he can aggrandize my life. And so... Jesus has come to make you new, but that newness is like him. And so our message to everyone, to your friends, to your family, to a foreigner, to a stranger, to your enemy is the same. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the message that we preach. And who is that message for? It is for everyone.
Now, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that mission? How do we, how is it going to work for us to say, Jesus is a truth because he has fulfilled the prophecies of, of hundreds and thousands of years of Old Testament scripture. Jesus is the center. It's all been about him, right? Um, the message is for everyone and that all people have to turn to it for salvation. Man, that seems like a big charge. I can't even like, get people to pick up their trash or, you know, my kids to like put their clothes in the lawn, right? I can't get them to do anything. How are we going to get people to believe these things? The answer is we will triumph. This message will triumph by the power of his spirit. Verse 48. You are my witnesses in these things now. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We mentioned that passage a couple of weeks ago, if you remember. The strange fact that with a message as important as the gospel is getting the message of salvation to the lost, Jesus says, don't even try it yet. Just stay in your house, stay in your city, and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because until the Holy Spirit gets here, you're going to be wasting your time. Disciples, you could go out right now and start telling people about Jesus, and it won't do any good because it will take the Spirit accomplishing this work for it to be uh, for it to work, okay? So again, he says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The next part of the story, Luke's story, is going to be about the Spirit working through the ch early church to accomplish the will of God. And in a sense, he's talking about us too. There's, there's, there's a way that we could think about it where the gospel of Luke is the story of Christ working. The story of the, the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, is the story of the Spirit working through the church. But we are an extension of that, right? You don't find the name of College Street Church in, in uh, the, the gospel of the book of Acts, but we are the continuation. We're chapter like 10 million or whatever of, of, the, the, of the book of Acts because it is the story of the continuing work of the Spirit to accomplish the will of God for the salvation of God's people. And what is our role in that? Man, there's something very simple and freeing, but something that is debated and re-brought up all the time in the church. We have one job in this thing, and that is we are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's the whole thing, okay? That we would declare the good news the gospel of Jesus, and that we would do that in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's our one job, okay? Now, here's the deal. Again, the church gets into discussions about the mission of the church pretty regularly. Um, sometimes we'll say, well, well, is it the mission of the church to, to serve, you know, the downtrodden? Is it the mission of the church to secure justice? Is it the mission of the church to reform society? Is it the mission of the church to just love people? And the answer is no. None of those things, all right? Well, and, and again, that's that's a little too on the nose. Not on their own, anyway. We don't do those things alone. We have one mission, and that is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. We do that with our words. We do that with our lives. We do that with our actions. And so the reality is, is that we will serve the downtrodden. We will seek after justice. We will reform society. We will love people. But we will do every single one of those things with the intent of witnessing to Jesus Christ. 
I've probably told you the story of, of when I lived in, in Louisville. I was in seminary. Um, by a strange system scenario of, of coincidences, I ended up working at a United Methodist church. And my theology was very different from the, the church that I was working at. And there was a lady in particular who didn't like the seminary that I was going to. And the reason she didn't like it is because years earlier, they had disbanded their college of social work. So at one point, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary had had a college called the College of Social Work. And it was a college to talk about, you know, all these various ways that the church could serve the world and the community or whatever. And the the university, uh, the, the seminary disbanded it at a certain point. And so this lady came to me one time. She said, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if I'm comfortable with you working with students in our church because I don't know that you guys believe in the same things we guys believe in. And I said, well, what's an example of that? She said, well, for one, you guys don't believe in charity. You don't believe in social work. You don't believe in helping, um, uh, you know, the poor and, and things like that, feeding the poor or feeding the hungry. You guys don't believe in stuff like that. And I said, actually, man, that's incorrect. We believe in all those things. We just don't believe that you can separate the gospel from. We don't believe that you can just feed the poor as the church. That's not our mission. Are there other entities out there in the world that do that? Sure, and let them do it. We don't believe that you can just help the sick. Are there entities out there in the world that you can do that? 100%. But the church, our job is to witness to Jesus Christ. And if on top of that, we end up serving the poor and helping people and doing those things, then that becomes part of our witness. But it can't exist outside of that, right? Our job is to witness the gospel, bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not, again, because those things are bad things. They are good things. But they're not our mission. Those things give credence to the truth of the gospel. But our job is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we do that, not in our own power, but we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? And so here's the deal, man. I think that this passage makes a great summary of the message of the gospel, of the mission of the church. It's a great summary of Luke's gospel in general, because that's what it's been about. And yet at the same time, it is a commissioning for us to do these exact things. To know the word well, to trust in and be emboldened by the truths that we find there, the connections between the Old and the New Testament, to see that Jesus is the center, that he is the key to all of these things. Um, to know that we have to align our lives with him, not the other way around, but that we are to take this message to the world, to everyone, to our enemies, to outsiders, to those who are foreign to us, those who are other than us. And yet we do that as witnesses of the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the church. So what I want to do is just go to the Lord in prayer. Um, I hope that that this is just, it's it's probably, I, I'm going to hope that I didn't say anything that blew you away today, right? I'm going to hope that you're not like, man, I didn't realize this was all about Jesus. Like, I don't know what I've been doing with my life, right? Um, probably, if you've been here for a while, you already knew that, okay? But it is important for us to be reminded of it because it is so easy for us to have what, what you might call missional drift, okay? To just 
accidentally, little by little, make the main thing not the main thing anymore. All of a sudden, something else becomes the center, and then and then we start getting goofy real quick, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask God that he would remind us of these things, that he would impress them on our hearts, that as we are going out to our friends and family, that we wouldn't be trying to get them to be Republicans, okay? Or that we wouldn't be trying to get them to be support a certain social cause, right? We would be presenting them with Jesus Christ, period. We'll let the implications of those things work and the Holy Spirit minister to their lives on all those other issues. But we are going to present Jesus Christ, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ ascended. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, just ask him to impress these things in our hearts and lives um, as we go forth and bear witness to Christ. Father God, again, we thank you for your goodness and your graciousness to us. God, we thank you for the gospel of Luke. We thank you for this long journey that we have made um, through the gospel, that we have seen the love and the character, God, the sacrifice and the mercy of our Savior Jesus Christ in it. We have seen him teach. We have seen him serve. God, we have seen him um, pour out his own life for our salvation. God, help us to focus everything we are on who Jesus Christ is. Um, let him be the theme of our song. God, let him be the, the center of our actions and our values and everything about us. God, let our praises and our worship um, be focused on Jesus Christ and who he is. God, let us, let us live as witnesses. Um, to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Let us share that with those around us. Let us do that in in kindness and in love, but God, in boldness, um, sacrificially, God, putting ourselves out there in such a way um, that that there could be repercussions from it. And yet at the same time, God, um, we are sacrificing and risking because we have watched Jesus sacrifice and risk for us um, because there are lives and souls on the line who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us be those people, Lord. Help us to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Presenting the closing song. <laughs> Your voice within the sea. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thou burning sun with golden beam. 
Amen. Done with Luke. I don't even know what we're going to do next. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I do. Um, so I wanted to mention one thing as we're going. Um, I'm sure most of you have probably, uh, many of you anyway, have heard about the passing of Tim Keller um, this week. Um, 
Angie put a, a little video online of, of um, John Piper talking about one of the last emails that he received from Tim Keller. And it was something that he just wanted to share. And so I, I just thought in my head, like when I saw that, I was like, there are not, I don't, me personally, there are not two other men who, who were current writers, pastors, preachers, theologians. There are not any other two men who I would say have influenced my life more. Okay. Than, than, than Piper. certainly people from history and stuff, but in terms of contemporaries, Tim Keller and John Piper have been hugely influential, um, on my life and thought and, and, and ministry and everything else. And so, but anyway, um, Piper made a comment and he said they were, they were sending this email back and forth and they were, um, sort of, uh, reveling, um, on the passage out of the gospel of Matthew, I think, where he says that the 72 come back, Christ has sent out the 72 to minister and they have come back. And, and they're all excited because through the power of the Holy Spirit, they've been casting out demons. They've been preaching the word and casting out demons and they're stoked because that would be pretty cool, right? To have walked out and just been these like, you know, young, scared dudes and then the, the, the spirit to work mightily through them. And when they come back, they're like, Jesus, you won't believe it. Like the, even the, the demons submitted to us. Um, and Jesus says to them, um, don't be excited about the fact that the demons have submitted to you. But be excited about the fact that your names are written in heaven. Um, and I think that ties into exactly what we were talking about, right? The very fact of saying, man, the center of all this is Jesus. The center of all this is the gospel. Um, the center of the whole message of, of the word of God, of the gospel of Luke. And I think I could say of the ministries of, of Tim Keller and John Piper is that Jesus is the center. And that what is most incredible about, about anything is the fact that Jesus Christ has died to save you. And that should be all we need, right? That is an incredible thing. Um, I know probably lots of you are already um, readers. You've read stuff by, by Keller literally last week when we gave out our books to our seniors. One of those books was by John Piper and one of them was by Tim Keller. Um, and so I just thought that was, you know, it sort of, um, it fit. So, um, hope you take that with you. Um, encourage you to, to, um, look into, to, if you've never read Keller, look into his resources. He's not perfect, right? He's like everybody else. You'll find stuff in there that you'll go, I don't know about that. Um, but man, uh, a once in a generation kind of communicator, uh, and somebody that will be, uh, deeply missed in the church. So, um, anyway, on that downer of a note, uh, uh, hope you have a great week. Um, um, here's benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.